know what that means? Everything. Anglophies. Gettle's gone. Oh my god, you people have just failed me. Failed me utterly. Congratulations, Scotland. We have just gone full That just explains so much of my childhood to me. Research purposes. It's super important. I hear an awful lot of judgment in your voice. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 24 of Anglophies. This will be two years worth of content. I'm impressed. This is super awesome. (laughs) So we're going to talk about serious shit. We're going to (laughs) talk about video games. I know how that sounds, but y'all know what I mean. (laughs) It's been a long and weird week for me. I'm Raiden. I'm Alina. And I'm Kaylee. And uh, we're going to talk about video games, video gaming culture, video gaming culture and women, and (laughs) recent developments in video gaming culture and women. And we did consider, we had to consider the safety implications of this episode. And we did. So here we are anyway. Because fuck you. So... We are going to start with um, our earliest exposures to video games. Which I now realized, haven't proposed, it sounds a little bit like let's prove our credentials, but it's actually more about happy memories. Yeah. <laughs> really, let's take us to, you know, a more innocent time in our lives. Yeah. <laughs> um, so before we started recording, I was talking about the first computer we had in the house, which we had when I was four which was an Apple II. It was gigantic. And um, we had we had truly old school Oregon Trail. Like not, not the one in color. It was just a green screen with the graphics made out of characters. And it was pretty ridiculous. And I loved that game so hard. <laughs> so... so- I, I see the, the words Oregon Trail pop up in like pop culture here, but I've never actually like I don't know what it is. It oh honey. <laughs> oh <laughs> honey. <laughs> I've surmised it has something to do with basically being a group of frontier settlers and you have to get them to the frontier safely before they die yes. of like dysentery. Yes. <laughs> here lies mac and cheese. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's an educational game that simulates a family going from Independence, Missouri to the Oregon Territory. And you have to pick your profession. You can be either a farmer, a carpenter, or a banker. And there are pros and cons, namely in how much money you have and how hardy you are. So, like, the farmer is hardy and has actual skills but no money and the banker has a shit ton of money but no skills um and then you follow the trail to various landmarks and you have to get food along the way you can go hunting but you can you can like shoot a thousand pound buffalo but you can only carry like 95 pounds back to the wagon so but you can still kill a whole shit ton of buffalo it's the most american thing ever (laughs) 
and you meet people and you have to cross rivers and it's it was the game that defined the the childhood of the 1980s i think it went through several iterations i have a version on my ipad <laughs> that's how that goes <laughs> and there's a, a spoof movie trailer of a movie that doesn't exist that I want it to exist so badly. Oregon Trail the movie. Oregon Trail the movie. I need this movie to exist. You know what? If it sounds like it actually would provide so much more plot than Battleship, and they managed to make Battleship a movie. Yes, it would. It would. There is no point in that movie where Liam Neeson growls and sunk my battleship. So therefore, the entire point of that movie is moved. Oh, who Alexander Skarsgård is in it for like five minutes. Yeah, but he stays closed the completely, completely the whole time, right? That should be illegal. That's just wrong. <laughs> Not right. That's <laughs> okay. So yeah, that's Oregon Trail, and I'm gonna find you an emulator so you can play it. <laughs> it I actually fun. wouldn't mind playing the game, the first game I remember playing, which is uh, Mixed Up Mother Goose. I think I would have been six or seven when my parents got the com- a computer for the house. And so my brother was a teenager and he played Prince of Persia. I remember, distinctly remember watching him. Um, but I don't know, somehow they got me Mixed Up Mother Goose, which was really fun. Uh, you got, you played a kid who went to sleep after being read, I guess, fairy tales and dreamt about them. But you, you dreamt about a world where all of these like, Little Mother Goose rhymes are real, but um, everybody's separated either from the other people or from the objects in their songs. So you have to go around and um, you found various objects and people and like led them to each other. But you had to do it in a specific order in order for the areas to unlock for you to proceed mm-hmm. um, until you reach the final one, the one about the king. Like Humpty Dumpty was like the second to last, and then there was the one with the king. Um, and then they all went hip hip hooray you know you you put the whole kingdom back in order and then you woke up i played that over and over and over it was really cute because after you would put you know the song back together they would actually perform it and sing it on the screen for you but it was like digital media music mm-hmm. i th- i remember looking it up and finding what must have been a later version because it it you know, it was obviously a little more graphical than the one I remember playing. But yeah, I think I would love to play it again for Nostalgia Value. <laughs> and it should be noted that because I don't know if Mother Goose was ever translated into Russian, so I didn't actually know any of these. So I had to put them, like, I think intuitively together the first time and then just memorize what went with what. <laughs> mm-hmm. hmm. Kaylee? Well, I had the benefit of being raised by a man who really, really wanted his own games console. So, as a child, I got several games consoles because my dad really wanted one and he had the excuse of having two children. So, the first one we got was the Sega Mega Drive, which I refused to call Genesis. (laughs) Seriously, Americans get with it. And I remember very clearly having the first three Sonic games on that. So, I was definitely of the era that got... To see, sort of like weirdly witness the console wars even before I had no idea that it was actually going on because my cousin had a Nintendo and I also had a Game Boy. So I kind of got to see the way that it was evolved and then we moved on to PlayStation when I was about seven, I want to say seven or eight. 
And the first game I got was that was Final Fantasy VII, which I had no idea how to play. I didn't understand the concept of a turn-based RPG. So it was just bash the keys, just keep hitting X. Things happen when you hit X, it will be okay. And that got me relatively far, but I never finished it because I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> Eventually moved to PS2 when that came out. And then by this point in time, I was kind of waning interest. Mainly, I wasn't anything against video games. It just wasn't for me at the time. And then my dad realized that he could get away with buying a console for himself. So he didn't need to worry about having that pretense anymore. So he bought himself an Xbox. And he's been a dedicated Xbox man ever since. And I have stuck to... Uh, I've gone back to games, but I, I'm sticking to my the Steam on my laptop. That's how I play. Yeah, we didn't have a console system at all when I was a kid. When I wanted one, we couldn't afford one. And then I just sort of gave up or forgot about it. And now that I could theoretically buy one for myself, meh. <laughs> yeah, consoles didn't really make their way into Russia until closer to the time when we moved. Um, so they weren't really part of my childhood. And, you know, when I moved here as a teenager, just computer games were good enough for me. Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. Like, I, that's what I knew how to play. That's what, uh, like... As a little sibling, right, you kind of follow what your big sibling does. My big brother plays uh, computer games, so he would always, like, pass his old ones on to me, so that's just what I stuck with. So I didn't really start playing console until way into my late teens and early 20s. Well, but... we, didn't get a com- we didn't get a computer in our house till I was 15, so the entire concept of playing games on one of those things was just alien to me. <laughs> so kind of the opposite. Decided- decidedly a console family, although that has changed for me now. But we are trying to convince my dad to make the leap back to Sony with the next generation consoles and not get the Xbox One because the Xbox One is terrible. Although yeah. I don't, I don't play consoles now. I am completely fascinated with the console industry, particularly when you get around to things like E3, where it's basically a giant peacock strutting contest between our consoles better than your console. We don't treat our users like dicks like you do, and then Nintendo's in the corner going, "Hey, we've got motion detectors." And Mario. <laughs> really? <laughs> Mario. Really Mario. What else? <laughs> yeah, I had a, a friend who got like a first generation Nintendo and we played Duck Hunt and we played Super Mario Brothers and Castlevania. Castlevania was fun. And hard. Yeah. It's still very, very hard. Um, but oh, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. We did have a console in the house. We had an antique Atari. <laughs> That had Pong and Super Pong and Ultra Pong and Super Mega Ultra Pong. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> so, yeah, we I did play Marathon a lot on our computers. My, my dad and I would go head to head and kill each other. And that was how we related to each other for a long time. It was fun. And we did that in our household. We would, well, my dad would buy games ostensibly for me, but really for him. And we would, he would set up my PlayStation in the living room and we'd all just watch everyone play games. So we had like Gran Turismo and we all raced each other on that one. And I got far too into it and thought you had to move the controller as well while you drive. And it's like, no, that's not how you do it. 
Oh, but um, that's the fun, like leaning as you yeah. go around corners. Yeah. I do that with my Mario Kart DS now. Yep. I lean to go around <laughs> corners. But the thing that's um, one that, that stuck with me, the one that sort of got the biggest nostalgic value for me, is actually still one of my favorite games. It's called Oddworld Abe's Odyssey. Have you heard of it? I want to say yes. It's this platformer about this strange little alien called Abe who is enslaved in a meatpacking factory and he's found out that him and his colleagues are I think about I've to turn into a few of it. Yeah. And this was just one that I was really obsessed with playing when I was younger, even though I sucked and my dad was the one that had to complete it for me. <laughs> it was this wonderful bonding experience of just a very strategic platforming combined with really funny, weird black humour. And really creative visuals. The sequel is actually funnier, I think. But the thing that sticks out about this for me is there are these moments where there are um, these bombs that you have to disarm by hitting them when they're the right colour. So it would go red, red, green, red, red, green. So we would have to help my dad do these things because my dad is colourblind. He can't tell the difference between red and green. <laughs> so my mum would just be like, no, no, yes, no, no, yes, yes, hit it now for sake. And then that's basically how my childhood developed. <laughs> <laughs> you're the funny I played so much oh yeah but I'm so delighted the game has just been it's just got a HD remake but it's currently a PS4 exclusive so my dad is you know what's funny this is why you need a PS4 when you were describing it just like the you had the two sentences there just a odd little platformer with dark humor and the sequel's even darker and I'm sitting here thinking if I didn't know you were talking about Oddworld you could use those exact same words for Portal Oh yes, I recently finished Portal 2. Hmm. It was cheap on Steam and it is brilliant. It's such a wonderful extension of that first game, which is a favourite of mine. But well, I would actually say Portal 2 probably a favourite space. space, space. <laughs> space, space. And it introduced that uh, co-op where you could actually play with a buddy. I would be so bad at that. I feel like I would end up murdering my partner if I was doing that. <laughs> I'm a, I, I also inherited another thing from my dad. I'm a very impatient gamer. <laughs> if something I, I love the satisfaction you get of completing a difficult level I don't like having to complete it so there are bits in Portal that took me a while to finish and I would just start hammering at my keyboard louder than I usually hammer at my keyboard and my mum would just be watching me from the couch going are you stuck again no I'm fine I'm almost there I swear <laughs> <laughs> and I always mock my dad for doing it my dad is the most impatient gamer on the planet he plays a lot of Call of Duty and he plays it on Xbox Live, which means he has to encounter lots of 13-year-old American boys who are better than him. Oh, no. But he doesn't want to admit it. He just throws a remote ground with this game is shit and want to play it anyway. Oh my god! Yeah, we, we, he doesn't use the headphones, the, uh, the microphone anymore, so he doesn't get to yell at the kids, which is like, we're glad you don't do that. That's probably yeah. for the Dad, best. Dad, don't yell at the 13-year-olds. You're supposed to be the bigger man. <laughs> I don't know, I think we can all excuse yelling at 13 year olds on Call of Duty. They are. Um, yeah. Yeah, play Portal 2 if you haven't. It's funnier, it's brilliantly developed, it's weirdly unnerving, and J.K. Simmons is hilarious. I've basically memorized the Lemons rant. I have the that ending theme on my in my music library. I love that one. <laughs> Want You Gone? It's really good. Yeah. And Stephen Merchant is in it, and he's genuinely funny and not just hopelessly awful. Is he Wheatley? Yes. Yeah. Well, he's part of the Ricky Gervais crew of comedy, so my usual reaction is long groans and then walking away. 
So, yeah, that's happy memories. <laughs> and then there's now. And then there's now. Uh, yeah, a, a lot of stuff has been happening in terms of video games and women in video games and developers and media and it's it's been it's been it's been a bad month <laughs> to the point where we're now officially calling it gamergate apparently no 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 no, 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 no. oh no they were calling it gamergate um, we should provide a little bit of information insane. here. So, um, well, there are two real cases that you have to look at. One is Anita Sarkeesian from Feminist Frequency. Background, she put up a Kickstarter to raise $6,000 so she could do a series of videos on tropes in gaming and the, the sexism within. Pretty simple project. Something that's been talked about before, but really not for her audience. People chipped in a bit of what, yes, it'll be interesting. I'll watch it. I might not watch it. It blew up to the point where she couldn't go back to her house. She was receiving death threats. She was being... Somebody made a video game where you could beat her up until she was bloody. So she received numerous death threats, threats of rape, threats that she was trying to destroy gaming from the inside like she was some sort of gangster. Some of it was ridiculous. Some of it was... I, it's been called terrorism, and I, I hesitate to use the word, but sometimes it feels like it's the only one that's apt. You know, her, her Wikipedia page was vandalized. She was docked numerous times from all of her points of contact, her emails, her website. Her videos were bombarded with um, reports to YouTube so that they would be removed. And this just escalated on the point where it brought so much attention to her that she ended up raising... Over, I think it was a hundred thousand dollars. I think it was a hundred and fifty. Yeah, certainly more than the six thousand she asked for. And of course, this just made a lot of them angrier. And she's been slowly releasing the videos. They are very high quality. I don't always agree with things that she says, but she's offering a very astute observation. A lot of which is very important. She did a recent piece on women as background decorations, that the way they're used to promote games, the way that they're used to titillate the players by just having them be beaten and assaulted. It's all, especially if you're new to games, if you've never played Grand Theft Auto or if you have no idea what it is, to have this sort of shown to you very clearly, it's very eye-opening. Mm -hmm. And that, the, she's received recently escalated again to the point where she had to leave her house for a while because her address was posted. And this is tied into another recent case involving Zoe Quinn. Zoe Quinn is an indie game developer. She made a game called Depression Quest, which is a text-based game where you play as someone with depression and you have to navigate your everyday life. You can go on Steam and play it now for free. You can, if you want to, you can donate money to Quinn. It's, this is nothing new. You know, there are games like this. There are indie gamers doing this kind of model. She'd been attacked before about the game because it's not a quote-unquote real game because, you know, if it's not a real game, it must be some sort of badger. And it came to a recent controversy when Quinn's ex-boyfriend did what all reasonable exes do and went onto 4chan. 
and made some very, very nasty accusations against her, which they immediately believed because who lies on 4chan? I mean, she's a woman, so she must be lying. Mm-hmm. Which led to, once again, repeated threats, doxing, people calling her up in her house, threatening to rape and kill her, attacking anyone remotely connected to her, including you know, her family, her friends, and all over the claim of quote-unquote ethics, because one of the accusations made by her angry ex on 4chan was that she slept with a journalist to get a good review. A review which does not exist. There is no record of this review ever existing. It's not a thing that happened. And this has been going on for a couple of weeks now, I want to say. Like three. She posted a couple of days ago that this has been going on for three weeks. Actually, let me clarify something because um, I remember reading that what actually happened is the boyfriend posted accusations that she slept with the reviewer and then somebody else came up with the idea oh she must have done it for a favorable review like i think at some point it spiraled out of even like the douchebag that, boyfriend's probably hands because i believe he writes for either kotaku or polygon i think it's kotaku i think it's kotaku yeah yeah the editor of kotaku came out and said we don't believe any ethical lines have been crossed here he has never written such a review we've talked about you know offering full conflict of interest and such we consider the issue resolved. Mm-hmm. And then this led to the claim that all of games journalism is rampant and corrupt in an evil feminist conspiracy to destroy Call of Duty and games where you get to shoot people because reverse misandry, racist sex is something. This was all done under the, the hashtag Gamergate, which they claimed was an expose of an actual, a very real issue, which is potential corruption and conflict of interest in games journalism. Now, this is nothing new. This has happened since the beginning. There have been claims, and actually very well documented, of journalists being fired for giving certain games less than favourable reviews because those developers offer advertising to the company. I believe it happened at GameSpot. Mm-hmm. Um, Rab Florence, who's a Scottish writer, he had to quit writing for Eurogamer because... Someone threatened to sue him over something he was right about when he pointed out conflict of interest. This is, you know, very well documented. There are instances where you could actually talk about this. None of that was being talked about because it was just being used as an excuse to attack a woman. It reminds me of, wasn't there, and this would have been, I think, about a year ago, a kind of a big kerfuffle around, I think it was Escapist reviewed a Grand Theft Auto game, like the newest one. And got it got like a nine point five out of ten, and suddenly the world exploded. Do you remember yeah, that? Was, God, yeah, that was Caroline Petit who writes for. I won't. I don't think she writes for them. I think it's GameStop or GameSpot that she works for. Was it GameStop? Okay. And she she's also a transgender woman, which I think is important to note. She nine out of ten for Grand Theft Auto Five. Let's be clear about that. Nine out of ten. She pointed out this game is quite sexist. She still gave it nine out of ten. Mm-hmm. There was a petition to get her fired from her job. If you watch any video of her on the GameSpot site, or their YouTube channel, the comments are full of the most horrific racist transphobic abuse. Sexist transphobic abuse, I mean. None of this seems tied to anything other than this is a claim that she is part of an evil agenda for giving a game 9 out of 10. 9 out of 10? I mean... 
I, I, I review books and I've seen people get really outraged when you give a book three out of five, but I've never seen them threaten to rape and kill someone. This is something I've seen exclusively with this community of gamers. Mm-hmm. I've encountered sexism in every field that I'm interested in, but not to this level, not to the, the sheer violence of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, there, there are a lot of ways to approach this topic and I'm trying to make sure we don't uh, kind of organize our thoughts a little bit. So I think, this is a good segue into one of those approaches that Kayla just did, which is why is it that game reviewing um, has all these reactions where it doesn't seem to be as rampant in other media reviews? Because we all know a lot of reviewers, male and female, of TV, of music, of movies. Um, and sure, you know, the comment section of any given website will contain the dregs of society. <laughs> <laughs> for lack of a better word, but I don't know that... No, the comment section of any given website that does not have active and involved moderators. moderators. That's true. But, you know, we it doesn't seem as bad for these other media. Like, game, the, game reviewers seem to receive like much bigger vitriol. Like, there's just something special about that medium versus the other entertainment mediums media we have you know and i've been trying to kind of wrap my hand around why and there's been a lot of um writing on the internet because of this of the past week about why why is it games and not tv and movies (laughs) i I think think there's a couple reasons yeah i think one of them is the fact that video games as an art form, because I do think it's an art form, as a hugely powerful part of media empire, it's still very new. We're only talking about 30, 40 years here. You know, that's about, you know, films have been around since the early 1900s. Literature has been around for, you know, eons. It doesn't have that same level of history. There is a history, but it's still very, very recent. I think that there's a ch- desperate search for legitimacy that they are still not getting from a lot of people. I remember when Roger Ebert wrote that video games couldn't be art. So there's this search for legitimacy, but there's also this weird kind of get off my lawn, he man, woman haters club attitude to it that this is something that they desperately want to be considered legitimate, but they also want it to be exclusive in a secret members club kind of way. Which is ridiculous because it's one of the most profitable industries in the world and technically everyone is a gamer. If you play Angry Birds on your phone, you're a gamer. If you have a PlayStation and you only use it to play Grand Theft Auto, you're a gamer. If you're clicking through Farmville on Facebook, you're a gamer. Every It's it's become such a everyday thing for everyone. My dad plays games on his phone. My mom plays games on her phone. You know, my, my sister and my cousin and my people in my office, they all they all game. Yeah, that's there's the a thing, though. Between, there's this attitude as well towards the, the filthy casuals. Beside it, they're not quote-unquote real gamers. But we've been having this argument for decades. Oh, you, you play on a console and not PC? You're not a real gamer. Oh, you're not playing with dice and a notepad? You're not a real gamer. Oh, you're not shooting wild animals in the park? You're not a real gamer. <laughs> there's that great cartoon, which I will refer on Tumblr, where you have said, you, you are truly the greatest gamer. I'm not doing it justice. I did just steal that joke from Yeah, that's the thing. It's it's like you said, this is a billion dollar industry. You know, video games are no longer this niche, obscure little corner of the world. It's kind of hard to claim to be 
put upon and little and the underdog when billions of dollars. <laughs> yeah. And it is literally billions of dollars. Look at the amount of people that bought Grand Theft Auto on the first day. Grand Theft Auto 5, I should say. The pre-order sales for that, I believe, did go into billions. Granted, you're paying $60 for a game where you're paying $15 for a film, you know, cinema ticket, but that's still a huge amount of money. And a huge number of people who stayed out and queued up till midnight to go into, you know, the game in Britain, I don't know what it is in America. It's become so, it's a huge part of Scotland's industry, for one thing. Rockstar, who make Grand Theft Auto, are based in Edinburgh. They employ so many people. The video game industry is a booming part of us here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if you're going to demand legitimacy for your art form, and you have every right to do that, you're going to have to accept that people are going to, like every other art form, they're going to criticise it, they're going to analyse it, and they're not necessarily doing it because they want to be mean, they're doing it because it deserves it whether it's good or bad. And part of that is feminist analysis. Yep. I mean, I think that part of the other reason that video game reviews get such vitriol involved is that it's it's a deeply interactive form of media. So, like, a movie, you just sort of sit and you passively watch. And yes, there are film techniques that bring you into the movie and empathize but ultimately you're just sitting there consuming it you're not actively participating in it so that makes the video game feel a lot more personal mm-hmm. I, I think there's definitely that element and I think that because there's been so much outcry and peril clutching over something like video games you know the whole Grand Theft Auto causes people to go out and shoot up the school. Mm-hmm. And that's nothing new. They've been having that argument for every single art form. You know, jazz music is going to corrupt children. That was going on in the 20s. Yeah. So I understand being protective about that because it does get such crappy coverage from a lot of mainstream outlets. But so does everything else. Yeah. You know, how many times have you watched, you know, when a film that's got a certain sex scene in it is, oh, this is going to corrupt your children. Or, you know, right. Harry Potter is going to teach your children witchcraft, and the music of Miley Cyrus is going to turn us all into mindless sex weirdos. I think there's also the fact that it's, for a lot of people, being an outcast when you were younger involved being into games. And not just computer games, you know, tabletop games and such. Mm-hmm. Right. This was, part, this was a way for you to create your own welcoming circle where you could be part of something without people ostracizing you and it's just really ironic that they're now using that to kick people down which well, is the entire concept of the big bang theory right well this is sort of what what socially maladjusted geeks do is they find their niche and then they defend it violently except and when that community is made up of so many very loud white dudes aged between 18 and 35 who have ultimate, you know, essentially unlimited access to the internet, that, that's you know kind of a recipe for disaster. Yeah. So here's here's um, something I want to talk about. Um, some of the articles, some of the writing over the past week pointed out something interesting. So there is this perception that oh, you know, women didn't used to play video games. Now, a lot of statistics will tell you that, of course, now, you know, 
as many women play video games as men. It's just, it crosses genders and races mm-hmm. and, you know, pretty much all demographics. But there's still this perception that, well, it used to be a guy thing and then women, quote unquote, invaded it. But of course, that's not actually true. Like, there's no way to prove that this goes, like, if you actually go around and ask women, who say are our age, you know, they're in their 30s, you know, how early did you start playing video games? And it's been 20-something years because I started playing since I was six. And I think it's just, it's never, I think it's never actually been true mm-hmm. that games were a guy only. Before the internet, or really like the wide visibility of the internet, all you had to do was to kind of look around your own playgroup, your own social circle, and say like, well, it's only us guys here. Obviously, women don't play. But... The, you know, women did play. It's just, A, they played mostly quietly because, well, we all know what happens right. <laughs> when guys find out you're a girl on the other end of the computer. You know, so I think it's just now more and more women are kind of like, why should we pretend we don't exist in this community? Um, I think that's what's happening. The visibility is increasing. I don't think the actual numbers were as low as people think they were. Um so I think it's a fallacy even to for anybody to present the argument that, well, it used to be a guy thing, so can't you understand why they're being protective? Mm-hmm. I don't also worth noting that some of the original programmers, not just in games, but in computing in general, were women. That's exactly it. You know? For a long time it was considered, it wasn't considered a worthy career for a man. It was the grunt work that the women did. Mm-hmm. And it's only you know in the past 30, 40 years that it has become a very almost exclusively male that's not to say that there aren't women working in big games you have someone like rihanna pratchett who wrote the tomb raider movie the tomb raider game Mm -hmm. which is far better and she's doing more and there are women developers they tend to be more in indie circles because it is more welcoming Mm -hmm. but breaking down that barrier can be hard enough when you're you know in any field let alone one that's been known to threaten women so heavily i believe it was I can't remember which company it was. I want to say she worked on Bioshock, one of the women developers there. She had to quit because they started to threaten her family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So, and there, there, there does come a point where I think, you know, this is something I love, this is something I want to be part of, but it isn't worth it anymore. It's not worth it for me to worry that I won't be able to leave my house because there's going to be someone standing out there wanting to kill me. Mm-hmm. One of the other ways I wanted to approach and talk about this is also I'm going to go back to something Kaylee was saying at the very beginning. Um, so one of the approaches doesn't even really have anything to do with the content of, say, Anita Sarkeesian's videos or what Zoe Quinn might or might not have done. Because as Kaylee even mentioned, she doesn't necessarily always agree with Anita Sarkeesian. There's this defense I see online that sometimes tries to present themselves as quote unquote sensible by saying that, no, well, look, it's actually like, you know, these female reviewers are actually bad or wrong because of this and this and this. And so it's kind of like they skirt the whole issue of the death threats and the rape threats. Right. And try to say like, but no, they're actually not quote unquote worth defending. And my reaction always is, is. Who cares what they actually said or didn't say? Who cares how bad a person they actually are? How is this behavior defensible in any context? There are plenty of, you know, YouTube personalities or people or other reviewers with whom I don't agree completely. It never ever occurred to me to to behave like that, to stoop to that kind of behavior, or you know, like it's just mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. There's you cannot 
quote unquote, sensibly defend the reaction to these women. Right. And it is, it does seem to exclusively be gaming as well, because look at female film critics or female music critics or the world of book blogging, which is heavily female. I can't think of a single. I, I can well, I exercise a lie. With, you know, there was recent couple years ago what happened in book blogging where a very vindictive female author decided to start posting personal information about a few reviewers. But disproportionately, this is coming from gaming. The fact that I can reel off several instances of not just female reviewers being sort of pushed around and threatened, but also developers who do anything that is considered remotely targeted towards women. Look at the reaction that the Fulbright company got from Gone Home, mm-hmm. which is a wonderful game. And the, the huge amount of vitriol it got basically seemed to be because it's about a woman and nobody seems to get shot and killed in it, so it's not a real game. Which is obviously ridiculous. Gone Home, basically, if you haven't played Gone Home, it's... Um, the Fulbright Company's debut game. It's about a young woman who returns home from College, backpacking around Europe. Oh. Yeah, she's she's been in Europe for a year backpacking. She returns home to the new house that her family have moved into. The house is empty. There was a note on the door from her sister saying, "Don't look for me." And you have to go around this huge, quite scary house looking for clues to find out what's going on. And the story unfolds, and you find out what's happened to your sister, what's been happening with your parents' relationship how things have changed and what the tensions are of this family. It's it's kind of like a... It's more like an adventure game than anything else. You know, a puzzle game. Mm-hmm. And it's gorgeous. You can complete it in three hours. I was absolutely enthralled by it because it's the kind of game that I like. And it got really great reviews. I believe Polygon gave it 10 out of 10. And this really, really angered some people, primarily men, who said, oh, you're only giving it a good review because it's a hipster game. You're only giving it a good review because it's about a woman. And, oh, you know, this is the kind of stuff that's going to ruin gaming. Like, you know, Call of Duty is still going to be there. Right. I, I like it. Like, it's it, not a zero, zero-sum zero game. Yeah, uh-huh. I mean, uh-huh. you can like there. these... You, know, <laughs> <laughs> you can like Gone Home and you can still play Call of Duty. The success of Gone Home, and it was successful for an indie game, but it's not going to barge in and just sort of shut down Ubisoft or any of the big companies making the same kind of, you know, here's a bunch of white guys with machine guns going off to kill brown people. They're still going to be there. So um, I actually would like to to use this as a platform to talk about the industry reactions. Because actually, in a lot of the uh, reactions, so from the other side, from the creator side as opposed to the, the consumer side, is where you find some hope, I think. You know, from Bioware games, which are kind of like the the more known example now of inclusive of games that are inclusive, um, to other developers where they say, "Well, no, we want to be inclusive with our games, and we don't really care that you don't like it." Remember how much flag Bioware got for basically pan gender romance. Mm-hmm. All the romance options are available to all the gender of your characters, and they're just not even going to limit it at all. And you just play whatever. And how many, how many comments were about like, well, as a straight dude, I shouldn't have to put up with it. What do you have to put up with? The possibility that somebody else played the game differently? 
it was so weird. And it was really nice for Bioware to say, you know, like, that that kind of comments are just not even worth addressing. That is not a criticism that they will address. Yeah. But the idea that opening your game up to as wide an audience as possible is a bad thing kind of astounds me, or the idea that it's stifling creativity. It's it's opening up creativity to boundless levels. Look at what they've done with the Saints Row games, which are, there are issues with those games, but it's one of the few games I can think of where you can create a transgender character to play as. You can you can be male, female, you can be cisgender or transgender, you can be basically any colour you want to be and you can create gangs of women that go around beating up people. And I can't think of any other game that has that level of sort of of creativity for the way that you choose to play it. And it's still widely successful. You you don't yeah. have to play it that way. You can play it whatever way you want to, but if someone's playing it differently, that doesn't mean that your experience has been ruined. It's, you know, that's just, I, I maintain that the people who have that point of view, who think that things like Depression Quest and Gone Home or the Death Games, I maintain that all they want to do is make people stupider. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, and then the, you... The Depression Quest is, you know, it's not going to destroy your world. You're going to do that first, probably. Yeah. And then you look at the company that makes Assassin's Creed. See, I'm totally <laughs> showing my fake cred by not knowing which company it was but the company that made assassin's creed saying oh ubisoft yeah i think it's ubisoft sure that sounds right um that saying oh well we looked into having female playable characters for this game but it was just too hard keep in mind assassin's creed created an entirely new engine so that they could accurately recreate water physics Right. And it's too complicated for them to create boobs. Right. And there's some <laughs> other game that has horses poop in real time. So, <laughs> but women are too hard. Bo- you can't animate boobs. This also ties into another one I keep hearing a lot as a defense against, you know, la- you know, for, against for, for lack of diversity in books and TV, which is it's historically accurate, even though there are documented cases of female pirates, of female thieves, of, you know, very prominently for the periods of history that Assassin's Creed is set in. Mm-hmm. And the fact that there are female characters in Assassin's Creed, I mean, you can't play as them, but they're there, so why are they suddenly not complicated to create, but it's complicated to make playable ones? Didn't a previous iteration of Assassin's Creed have female playable characters? I think one of them did. So it is probably my favorite, my favorite, most ridiculous defense I've ever heard for just blatant sexism because you it sounded like they just made it up on the spot, you know. Mhm. Mhm. They probably uh, did actually, and it's a shame. The, the fact is as well, they say, "Well, oh, it's too expensive. Like you're the most profitable industry in the world right now." Yeah. And the interesting thing also is the reactions to the reactions like how many um tweets we've seen where um a male reviewer or a male uh personality in gaming will speak up and say this is horrible you know what i don't want to have anything to do with people like that they shouldn't be welcome in the industry uh or like they would retweet so you know anita sarkeesian and they would get tweets going like oh my idol has just died that happened with my favorite game developer tim schaefer who seems to have committed the crime of not being a sexist dick. 
<laughs> and he yeah. was getting he, like he did get a couple death threats, but even he admitted the stuff I get just funny. It's terrifying the stuff that Anita Sarkeesian gets. His comebacks were very funny though as well. But I think the big one that everyone remembers is Phil Fish, who mm-hmm. was the indie developer behind Fez. He quit the industry because of the way people treated him and because of the the way that his, you know, audience were he basically said they were entitled little D bags. Mm-hmm. And he was very, very defensive of Zoe Quinn, but also just attacking this entire culture that it seems to that seems afraid of its audience. And I genuinely think a lot of game developers are afraid of their audience. Mm-hmm. Which is why so many of them won't speak out, even the ones that are in an excellent position to do so. And the thing is, even for certain indie gamers, I understand it's more difficult for them than it is for someone like Ubisoft, but these guys are still going to buy their games. Yeah. Which is, you know, when Michael B. Jordan was cast as a human torch, and people asked him, what do you think of the racist reactions? And he just said, they're still going to see the movie. Oh yeah, I love yeah. that. <laughs> I mean, these are the guys that, you know, that whined to get a new ending to Mass Effect 3, which they successfully did. And the idea that some women would stand up and say, hey, I don't want all female characters to be raped and beaten in games. Could you change that bit? And that's suddenly offensive for us. I think that they, they just want an excuse to be dicks. I really think that's what it is. Yeah. And it was really sad to watch a number of popular video game personalities just laugh at this and claim, well, I don't know what the story is here, but clearly there's things wrong on both sides. And it's like, no. No, no, no. One side is threatening to rape and kill the other side. Whether they're actually going to do it or not is immaterial. They're saying things like, and you know what? I'm going to issue a trigger warning for the tweets that I'm about to read. These are the tweets that that got Anita Sarkeesian to leave her house for a while. Um. But saying things like, I'm going to kill your parents too. I've seen their house. I'll drink your blood out of your cunt after I rip it open. You're so beautiful and sexy, you know that? I'm going to kill Johnny. I'm assuming that's her partner. I'm going to go to your apartment at the address and rape you to death. And when I'm done, I'll ram a tire iron up your cunt. I fail to see how there's both sides. I don't I, get it. Here's the thing. Even if Zoe Quinn slept with every game reviewer in the country, it wouldn't matter. No. You could have a discussion about game ethics, but you know you can't have that discussion anymore. Because the, the, the atmosphere that this debate has gone in has become so toxic and so poisoned that you can't have that discussion anymore. Just like it's really hard for someone like me to explain the things that I disagree upon that Anita Sarkeesian because the moment I put them out on Twitter, I will get all these people you know, saying, yeah, I agree, this woman is awful and she's a liar and this and this, and just making yeah. the worst accusations against her. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if you want to have a discussion, you're the ones that have stopped that. We can't do that anymore because of this. So there was a very interesting article um, th- that... <sighs> To me, almost a little bit shines a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, it was um, on Dr. Nerdlove's website, and he called it the end of gatekeeping, the extinction burst of gaming culture. Uh, I actually haven't heard the term extinction burst before, but it's it's not a very complicated concept. Uh, basically, it's a concept in, um, psycho- like in psychotherapy that when... Um, 
when a person is trying to get rid of a behavior, like say a smoking addiction, or when a parent is trying to, you know, train their child out of something, before our brain gives up the synaptic pattern that it's used to, it's going to have one huge burst of just reinforcing the behavior. So before you can give up smoking, you're going to have horrific cravings and just start smoking cigarette after cigarette. You know, before your kid can be trained out of asking for candy every time you're in in a grocery store, they're going to throw the biggest tantrums ever. And and that's what's called, um, in I guess, behavior therapy, an extinction burst. So his... um, his theory here is that what we're experiencing is the extinction burst of misogyny in gaming culture. So before people are ready to give up this idea that they are the only demographic that should be pandered to because they're the only one that matters, they're going to throw the biggest two-year-old tantrum ever. Except their tantrums result in death threats and people being driven out of their homes. Mm-hmm. The reason I call it a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel is, of course, by nature, an extinction extinction burst is something that happens before a behavior is successfully eradicated. Um, That said, even with the article, which we won't forget to link, I promise, uh, Dr. Nilov points out that you can't then just sit back and say, well, the behavior is going to go on. No, this is when the behavior tries to reassert itself and it's its last ditch attempt to not die. So what you have to do is reassert that, no, it has to go. Mm-hmm. That can be easier said than done because I don't blame any woman who stays out of this. Mm-hmm. Like I've had a couple things. I've certainly never had it to the volume that women who are really in the industry have had. But I have a really low tolerance for having someone tell me that I'm a liar and a bitch and all of these things. You know, so I don't let's, have to let's do that. that. Let's let's do our own personal experiences because I think it's only fair that if we open our mouths and talk about this, we talk, we open up a little personally about the things we might have experienced. Um. Well, I mean, I don't since I don't really play video games. Um. It's, it's not something that has affected me at this time. So I'll be honest about that. <laughs> so my main um, my main thing that I've really encountered is just every time I tweet about something like this and it gets retweeted quite a bit, I will inevitably have people telling me that... I mean, it's, I'll admit, most of what I get is just really passive-aggressive more than anything else. And from people who I think genuinely think that this is an ethics issue. And a lot of people did get caught up in the hashtag Gamergate thinking that it was. Because, you know, we didn't know until recently, I think we suspected that it originated from 4chan, but until Zoe Quinn revealed that she had gone reconnaissance and gathered all the information to prove it was all from 4chan. And then you did see people sort of scuttling away. But it's just the same thing, which is these people genuinely think that this is an ethics issue. And there, there is a level of very deeply ingrained misogyny that allows them to believe that, well, yeah, these are terrible things going on, but this is a means to an end. Um, before we move on to me, actually, Kaylee, let's go for our listeners' um, benefit a little more into the recent Zoe Quinn um, quote-unquote undercover work, because it can be kind of dense and hard to understand what happened. So I think it's... And it is glorious <laughs> it really is um basically from my understanding and like i said it was a little difficult to unravel it all there was kind of a concerted effort 
from a group of people based in 4chan to kind of create controversy in order to portray their side in a more positive light, something like that. That seems to be the general gist of it. Yeah, I think that's giving them a It was almost like, let's create situations where we look like bad guys, but then no, we come out and actually we weren't fairly put upon, but actually we create the situation in the first place. But Zoe Quinn... And as she said, I think in one of her tweets, I'm a games developer. I know how to use a computer. Yeah. <laughs> she, she, would, she went into the IRC chat rooms and she has logs, you know, screenshots and just files of logs that, that, that document the entire, yeah, the planning. entire process. Planning I'm the being process. very open about the fact that what they are doing is ingrained in pure misogyny. Yeah. They keep talking about third world feminists. I don't think they know. If that, I don't, that's not a real term, and I don't think they entirely know what it is when they kept saying it. But they were very clear about the fact that this is about Anita Sarkeesian, this is about Zoe Quinn, this is about every woman who dares to tell us that and we this are is wrong a, about This is about getting the Tumblr social justice warriors. Yep. Which, like, come on, guys. And the way come they on. kept using that term of social justice warriors, like, I'd rather be the political correctness gone mad social justice warrior than someone that thinks it's okay to threaten to shove things at women. Mm-hmm. But the list they put together as well, can I just, they could have together a list of social justice warriors who were siding with these evil feminists. This included Penny Arcade. <laughs> oh you can't God. see me facepalming right now, but I'm <laughs> facepalming. This included Ron Paul. What? Yeah. This included the amazing atheist who thinks that the age can afford to when women are able to breed. His uh. work. So here's the thing. Those guys were too feminist for 4chan. Think <laughs> the level of evil that is. Oh my god. Oh my god. Alright, back to personal experiences, which I kind of suspected I probably would have the most just because um, I... Like, I play MMOs and multiplayer video games, so I kind of run more into situations where I'm quote-unquote out as a woman <laughs> in video games. And uh, I also play Magic. Um, so we, I got into MMOs. Um, actually, before we got into graphical MMOs, I played MUDs, if anybody remembers. Those are, like, text-based multiplayer yeah. online games, if anybody yeah, yeah, remembers. Yeah. Um, because my husband and I, for a long time, were a long-distance relationship. You know, I was in Canada and going to university here, and he was in the States. Uh, and we both love video games, but when it's long-distance, playing them together, and MMO is the easiest way to enjoy it together. Um, so I'm the one who, who thought, oh, this would be great. Uh, you know, we could do, it's, it's a way for us to spend time, but actually be doing something that's fun. Um, so I, I found, first, uh, I found a mud that we really like to play, and then I bought us Final Fantasy XI for Christmas. And you know the amount of times so my husband with the question, dude, how do you get your wife to play with you? God. Though, and of course, there's just kind of the random assortment of your garden variety, how horrible is the term? Garden variety sexual harassment yeah. <laughs> online through tells on multiplayer video games like World of Warcraft. Um, and, and Final Fantasy XI. Uh, and with magic, which is, you know, which is a large part of our lives now, um, I actually kind of feel, I suspect that here in Canada, or at least in Toronto, we possibly have a much more welcoming community than it can be elsewhere. So I feel lucky in that I don't run into it too much. 
But I actually was thinking about this comment I got from a magic judge, which was a nice comment. He very sincerely said that um, he likes seeing more women play. Like he hopes that more, more and more women will feel comfortable going out to, you know, to the big events and, and getting into the game. And like I said, it was a very sincere and nice comment. But it's kind of really sad to live in a world where that kind of comment makes sense. <laughs> right. Well, I, I did notice the the gender breakup breakdown. Been a long week of the the magic tournament that I met you at in Worcester. Mm-hmm. And how very dude heavy and I'm sorry, some of those dudes were really unwashed. <laughs> I don't know if I mentioned this when we were the previous episode when we were talking about meeting at that tournament, but do you remember I was talking about how like that large tournament hall it converted one of the wa- one of the female washrooms to a male one? Yeah. And I was saying how yeah, you know, percentage I get it. Like there are going to be right now a lot more men than women. So, you know, like the washrooms should be kept clean. That's fine. What bothered me is that they specifically converted the more conveniently located one and made sure that the women had to go to like the furthest, most inconvenient location. Furthest corner from yeah, God. from anyway. Yeah. So, and that that is what to me showed a, like an attitude of well, we really don't have to quote unquote cater to our right. You want to be more welcoming. That <laughs> that's something very simple you can do. Is not you know do that. We'll link an article that was posted, I think, fairly recently. This was, yeah, actually, I think just a couple of weeks ago, uh, in the Washington Post uh, about female players in the Magic: The Gathering community. Now, that article actually had a comment in it that kind of was symptomatic of something that I, I roll my eyes at. So, the article is written in that quote unquote mainstream for the mainstream language where it's simplistic about the game and not always entirely accurate about it because it assumes that its audience doesn't know anything about trading card games and magic specifically and possibly looks down on them a little bit or considers them weird so it it so would say things like you know star city games opens other star city games open series tournaments are the country's biggest they're pretty big. They're not the country's biggest. But the thing is, the size of them isn't at all pertinent to what the article's about. So to me, that's okay. That's that's a really easy shorthand for the article to tell its audience, you know, something about a tournament it knows nothing about. And then the comments would completely ignore what the article is saying about being a woman in magic and just try to nitpick these little factual errors mm-hmm. as a way to then discredit the discredit entire article. The whole article yeah. And the article is um, specifically about Feline Longmore who is uh, one of the more visible female players. Like She's done fairly well on the Star City Games circuit, which is one of the bigger, more well-known circuits in North America. And it pointed out, for example, that when she won a Star City Games Open, immediately there's a thread online, hey, would you bang her? Mm-hmm. No, none of the male winners of Star City Games Opens have to put up with, you know, internet threads discussing their physical attractiveness or lack thereof. And trust me, not all of them are that physically attractive, which doesn't matter, except when they're women, then it matters. Yeah. This is also something that ties into basic game development. This is something that um, Jim Sterling of the Jimquisition brought up, which is men in video games get to look very different from women in video games. They get to be craggy-faced and old and aging. They get to be fat and 
thin and unattractive and surly, women tend to always be attractive in video games. Whether they're playable or non-playable, they're always bending their spine backwards, they're always dressed in a less than practical manner, they're always very aesthetically pleasing for the average straight cis white male gamer age between 18 and 35. This reminds me of um, a text post I saw recently on Tumblr. I'm sorry I can't think of the attribution off the top of my head. Um, I'm, I'm going to try to find it and see if I can. But it talked about sexuality in context and then in meta context for female game characters because, or any media characters because you can have a fictional female character for whom being overtly sexual makes sense in her personality. You know, some people are. Some people like to be, and that's fine. But there's still the meta context of somebody created her to be that way. And trust me, they pretty much created her to be that way for the purpose of, of sexual gratification mm-hmm. of male users. Um, this kind of reminded me of a conversation I had with my husband recently about the game character Bayonetta. It makes Bayonetta within her own personality... Sure, it makes sense for her to be overtly sexual. That does not take away from her competence or any of her skills. And if she, and you know, if she has a personality where she enjoys being sexual, like that's fine. But there's still the context that she was created to be that way, and it wasn't to be inclusive of women. And there's also the fact that these characters are disproportionately created for the, uh, to be sexual characters in that way. Mm-hmm. And there's something you have to keep saying when you're a feminist as well. It's like, I'm not anti-sex. Honestly, I, I'm i fully in favour of creating these very proudly sexual characters who are not shamed for being like that. That shouldn't be all that's available to us. In the same way that I don't think every protagonist for a major um, multi-million dollar developed game should be an aesthetically pleasing straight white dude who mm-hmm. wears silly hats. Or as what, what was it? Jim Sterling says they're all just bulky soldiers called Jake. Mm-hmm. And this is the same problem we have in pretty much every medium. You know, you want women. You know, you want female action stars to look different. You don't want them all to look like Scarlett Johansson. You don't want all of the the female characters in really popular books to just simply be love interests. You don't. It, the idea that variety is a bad thing is astounding to me. I think it's just because. A lot of people do have to accept that privilege does exist, and just because these offensive or stereotypical or tired representations aren't directly in, in any way supposed to be related to your experience, doesn't mean that they aren't worth discussing. Yep. I mean, the fact is that when Metroid came out, they had to trick people into playing a female character. Like, if you read the actual the, the box for and the instructions for the original Metroid game. Samus is described in male pronouns, and then in the end, takes off the suit she's wearing a bikini. Yeah, you played as a chick owned. <laughs> it's the same thing as when being when I was younger. Really, the only female character I could remember playing as was Lara Croft. Right. And even as an eight-year-old, I did wonder what the hell was going on with the boobs. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, I like the Tomb Raider games. I like Lara Croft as a character, but there's a reason her boobs get bigger and bigger in those games, and it's not for female yeah. players. And that's the thing. Well, even though, in I... the movie, um, Ange- Angelina Jolie, like, had, wore a a bust enhancer, um, 
for the first movie, I think for the second movie, she's like, no, this is completely fucked up my balance and I can't do the stunts. So how about you go fuck yourselves and I have my real boobs? Because people seem to like those. <laughs> I was just going to say, and I'm seeing more and more, thankfully I'm seeing more and more women come out and say, I'm tired of liking games despite. You know, mm-hmm. I shouldn't have to like games in spite of. I mean, obviously, there's never going to be a game that's going to please everybody. That's not what women who play video games want. <laughs> but there's a little too much to overcome here to to like a game. Um, and if and you know that's why the big tantrum because people who are being who feel that they're the ones being pandered to with this and they're happy being pandered to don't want women to feel like they can they can go into a comment on a website and and safely say i i would like this more if you know mm-hmm. the death threats are there specifically to shut these women up yep but it's interesting that the they are creating these particular you know white bread characters to appeal to the widest audience possible that's their claim not understanding half of your audience is women your audience isn't explicitly white. They aren't all, you know, middle class. They aren't all universally educated. They're not all straight. So They're not all teenage boys. Of, yeah, the definition of widest audience possible is built on this very archaic idea that the only people with money are straight cis white guys aged between 18 and 40, despite the fact that the biggest demographic of consumers is still women. Women do all the shopping it's mothers that go and buy the video games for their kids. And sometimes they play them themselves. For those of our listeners who will be going through the show notes, the um, the Extinction Burst article will actually also talk briefly about the uh, evolution of marketing in video games and points out that originally the marketing was very inclusive. And it's not until sometime in the 90s where the marketing started to, you know, hone in with laser precision on, teen- on white teenage boys and then it's that closed loop of, well, if we will only market to this demographics, only this demographic will want the product, so then we don't have to market to any other demographics because our marketing already taught them that it's not for them. Mm-hmm. But the thing is as well, they, they a lot of them know that the market is there and they just don't care. Look what happened with Cartoon Network with the, um, I want to say it's Teen Titans. Mm, Young Justice, I think. Young yeah, Justice. Young Justice. Was it, was it and um, the guy that created Harley Quinn, whose name I forgot. Big geek girl, I'm sorry. But he, but he said he was in a meeting with the Cartoon Network people, and they said, "Yeah, this show's popular, but it's not selling toys to boys. Therefore, we don't want it because girls don't buy stuff, apparently." Mm-hmm. Which is the dumbest thing ever. It's always well, so dumb. That's the thing. Money, that's the thing, though. It's always so dumb. All these excuses. I mean, the abuse from the consumer side is horrific. But then, those creators who encourage or like encourage this situation are just, the excuse is always so stupid. So yeah. I don't understand. No, there isn't really two sides to the issue. <laughs> right. And I, I think there, there is definitely some glimmers of hope on the horizon. Like games.on.net which I have no idea how big this website is in terms of gaming announced at the end of August that readers who feel threatened by equality are just no longer welcome they don't want their clicks they don't want their likes they don't want their input if you have a problem with 
women and non-white males in gaming, you may get your gaming news somewhere else. And that, <laughs> I mean, the comments on that post were never enabled. So, because he's like, this is not up for discussion. This is, this is a hard to pass rule. So, how dare away. you shut down my free speech to comment and leave rape marks on your comment section? This right. is a travesty. First Amendment. I have a right to debate. No, you don't. No. No, you don't. You really don't. You really don't. A friend of mine said, right now, the games industry is like, imagine if imagine if Hollywood made 90% Michael Bay movies. That's what gaming is like right now. Yeah. And I, 95%. Yeah. I honestly think that, because I know people have talked about this before, I think that gaming is heading towards another crash. That entire industry doesn't entirely know what to do, even though there are elements that are doing really well. Sony and PlayStation 4, for instance, have really embraced indie gamers and their market, and they're giving... You know, exclusive deals to a lot of smaller companies to have the console exclusive rights to their games. And that's, you know, a huge step considering that, you know, Xbox, what Xbox are doing in comparison. There is a, these, like, bubbles in the market that are going forward in the right way. And there are people who listen to Anita Sarkis and she was called in to be an unofficial consultant on the new Mirror's Edge game. So clearly, there are people in the industry who are like, you know what? Yeah, we need to deal with this because we like money and women have money. Even if you're only doing it for that really shallow reason, I will take it. Because, yeah. hey, capitalism sucks. <laughs> yeah. I think that's one of the reasons I kind of stick to playing indie games. One, they're cheaper. Mm-hmm. But two, there is just so much less collateral damage you have to deal with. I don't, I've never seen the sort of accusations of oh, you're only playing, what did I recently play? I got Guacamelee for part of the indie bundle. Oh, you're not a real gamer if you're playing that. Or, oh, it's not a real game. And it's, of course it's a real game. I can play whatever the hell I want. It's still a real game. And I get the hell off of Farmville. Which I've never got, by the way. Same with Candy Crush. I don't get it. Candy Crush is really great for my morning commute when I'm listening to a podcast and I can't I need something to do with my hands that doesn't require actual brain. Because it's morning and I haven't gotten to the Dunkin' Donuts for the coffee. Alien Hive. That's my <laughs> latest smartphone puzzle game. I, I almost have all the aliens out. I'm just missing three. Yeah. Angry Birds is good for that too. But Angry Birds does require a little bit of physics experimentation. The Star Wars Angry Birds was a lot of fun. That is a lot of fun, yeah. Appealed to so many different sensibilities for me. Yeah. It's really funny to watch my dad play it as well, because he gets impatient even with Angry Birds. <laughs> That's a billion dollar industry on its own now. Yeah, exactly. There's like cartoons and toys. I'm actually looking at an Angry Birds cuddly toy right now, which is my sister's, and it's sitting on our shelf. Aww. And every time my dad comes into our room, he presses that toy because it makes noises. <laughs> At some point, you need to vine your dad playing video games. <laughs> I think that would be hilarious. I really, really do. Sometimes <laughs> you can just hear him screaming. But he's a very, he's an FPS guy, first person shooter. It's Call of Duty or nothing, really. I did buy him Arkham Asylum and he gave up. Aww. Which is sad because it's such a wonderful game. Did you know Final Fantasy VII has a, a first person shooter spinoff? Really? Yeah. I will it's say, called I, Dirge of Cerberus. 
that is very interesting. I will say I did see the trailer for the new Final Fantasy fifteen. I have no idea what's going on in that game, but wow, it looks good. Although from what I understand, Square Enix have been pissing off their fans a lot lately. Mm. Everyone in those games has really silly hair as well. Well, you know, it's not a JRPG if it's not. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I actually, we stopped playing Final Fantasy um, 14, which is the MMO recently, but it actually has has improved, I mean, from its disastrous launch. This new version that's, I think, going into, just celebrated its first anniversary has actually done pretty well. So, I don't know, we'll see, we'll see what will happen with 15. Because I know it was originally supposed to be versus 13, and then they realized, you know, we should probably make this a sequel because people actually seem interested in it. Yeah, like, they had a very weird plan for the entire 13 universe that, that's not going to follow the original. It was just too complicated, and I'm not sure it was viable, so... I did love the trailer because they've kept the Japanese voices in it, and nobody does like melodrama like the Japanese. That is true. That is one hundred percent true. So, do we think we spoke sufficiently to invoke death threats? Possibly. Let's Ooh. find out. <laughs> Let's find out. <laughs> Are there any games you're looking forward to? Um. Yes, uh, the Dragon Age Inquisition. Very soon now. I'm I'm a big fan of the Dragon Age series. Uh, so I'm... And this one's going to have Varric back. And Varric is everyone's favorite. <laughs> so, um... But Claudia Black is back um, voicing Morgan. And, you know, like, the, this this one is going to continue the story. Uh, the, the Dragon Age games are interesting because, like, they don't have the same protagonist, unlike the Mass Effect ones. Uh, but they... The, the universe kind of has um, a storyline running throughout the games that it, by the universe I mean you know the, the politics of the of the countries in which you're, the game is set is changing and that is consistent game to game like you're actually seeing history develop so to say so this one is gonna where everything comes to a head and there's a big war so it should be fun nice one. I actually have a really good answer for this <laughs> uh, the game I'm most excited for is No Man's Sky which is an upcoming game. I believe it's going to be a PS4 exclusive, so I might just have to like watch other people play it. But it's a procedurally generated open universe game where you fly from planet to planet discovering these planets, and it's apparently never-ending, and you will never see the same planet twice. And you will uncover different ecosystems and different creatures that live there, and all, you know, the, people, the natives of these planets. And they showed trailer for it at E3 this year, and I was just kind of stunned by it. It looks gorgeous. And if they pull it off, it um, will be something special. Good news for you. Wikipedia tells me that although it will be originally uh, released on PlayStation 4, it will be coming to Microsoft Windows. It will oh. be coming out to a PC platform. So. Yay! So I can actually play it instead of just talking about it. And I now will put on the, uh, the really cliched answer here, which I think every person says, which is Half-Life 3. <laughs> it's never going to happen. Planets will crumble before that game is created. I'll take Portal for you, so I keep hearing rumors about it. <laughs> I have no idea where they take it, but I think it would be really interesting. All right, well, I guess that wraps up two years of podcasting. Oh my god, you guys, we have so much to say. <laughs> and we're not even done. We're not even done. We're going to keep going. 
Because you guys have no idea what the TBR list looks like or the to be recorded list. Yes. <laughs> oh my god, I need to nap. <laughs> All right. So that thus ends episode twenty four. You can find us at Anglofuse pretty much everywhere. Except Pinterest. We don't pin. We could pin if we wanted to, but mm. we don't. Well, hopefully we're still here to see you guys next month. Yeah. <laughs> Knock on wood. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. You have been listening to Anglofuse, a made-of-fail production.